Welcome back to the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjun, I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by Covert Go Blue, who is the other host, and we are continuing in this episode to talk about Zendikar Rising Spoilers. So in the previous episode released earlier this week, we covered just a bunch of the kind of foundational original spoilers that were released in the set. And this episode, we're just going to keep trucking through. So we're going to have no preamble. We're going to jump right into it. I'm excited to continue talking about these spoilers. So CGB, are you ready? I'm ready. I also just want to throw in there that if you like your things in order or you want to hear about the mechanics in the set, they were addressed in the previous episode. So you may want to listen to that first if you're hopping right into spoiler season fresh. Excellent. Yes, this is definitely a bonus episode, so it's missing some of the trappings of a usual ArenaCraft episode. All right, with all of that out of the way, let's jump right in, and the first card that I want to continue on with today is Tajaru, I guess Tajuru Paragon. So I'll read this card for us. It's one and a green, three, two, creature elf at rare. Tajaru Paragon is also a cleric, rogue, warrior, and wizard, so this can check any box in your party that you want it to check. It also has Kicker. When Tajaru Paragon enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, reveal the top six cards of your library. You may put a card that shares a creature type with it from among them into your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So baseline, this is a 3-2 elf for two mana. Not a bad stat line, especially if you want to be getting in there. And you can pay five mana to search up base, I'm assuming, any other creature in your deck if you're building this sensibly. So what do we think about this card, CGB? Playable? Sometimes. Um, you, you need a tribal payoff or a party payoff. If, if you're just playing it as a three mana, three, two, that's not a constructed card. If you're just pay, playing it as a five mana, three, two, maybe draw a card that's not constructed playable either um so it's got to go somewhere where it gets paid uh, my first thought is like naya winota might enjoy this card uh, as it does find a warrior it can dig for winota something that those decks are sorely missing let me ask you did you have the moment where you thought that they had just decided to make party a um a standard mechanic by printing one card at rare that was busted enough to to fill a party by itself. I because I did. I read this and I was like, like I had just gotten done reading my first party card and I was like, oh, that's going to be a limited mechanic. It's too like it's hard to get those things together. I read this card exactly a few seconds later and was like, oh, and then they just decided to bust it to sell more rares. Man, I think that the party mechanic is going to sell cards. I think it's going to sell more cards than it should. <laughs> That's my Okay, opinion. okay, fair. I, yeah. But uh, yeah, I thought that if you had this, you had a full party, but that's not the way it works. Yeah. It, it is one piece of the party. On any, any piece of the party you want, but it's only one of them. You do not get away with a full party without having at least four creatures in play. So yeah, I agree with you. This card, neither half of this card seems particularly impressive to me. I also feel like a lot of these creature tribal decks tend to not run out of gas and or they 
if they're doing their thing right, they're trying to get you dead by the time they run out of gas. So yeah, yeah, maybe. But my initial read on this card is it's probably not going to be as good as it necessarily looks. So okay, I, I think that that's I think that's legit and very fair. I wouldn't be surprised if this card didn't see constructed play. The only thing I can think of that would be nice is like some kind of a either tribal or Winota flavor. I I think Winota is the most compelling case that I've heard so far because in Winota decks you do want to play cheap non-human creatures and you do want to have outs to search up your Winota. I just feel like those Winota decks often have plenty of things to do in the four and five mana slot like Ember Cleaving or just hard casting your Basri's Lieutenants and stuff like that. So I don't know that this is going to necessarily be the answer that that it looks like it could be in those decks. Oh yeah, it's an emergency card for sure. Yeah, you, exactly. you don't want to even use the five spot. It's not good enough. Yeah, and the front half of it is definitely not the best thing that you could be doing in that slot in a Winota deck. So that's another thing to think about. All right, let's move it along. This card could be interesting if we have the cleric support. So I'm gonna. Uh, actually, I think it's your turn to read. Why don't you read Aura Skyclave Hierophant? Two white and a black for a legendary creature core cleric at rare. 3-3. Three, three. Lifelink. Whenever this card or another cleric you control dies, return target cleric with lesser converted mana cost from your graveyard to the battlefield. This is what I'm thinking about. And again, this might be a bit of a stretch, especially in standard, but I think if there's enough support for clerics, and I think if there's enough sacrifice synergy, then this card could be like an enabler for some pretty cool stuff. I mean, a 3-3 three, three for 4, not great. So we're definitely looking at some kind of like combo level payoff to make this a playable card. But do you think I'm like wildly off base here? Or does this card just look flagrantly unplayable to you? I hope that at some point in standard, we get to enough clerics where playing this card and then using it, you can do something cool, like sacrifice a three-cost cleric to get a two-cost cleric, then sacrifice that cleric to get a one-cost cleric, and that you get to do all that in one turn, and it's cool. Like, somehow it's a chain, right? That gives you value all the way. Yeah. I think that would be really fun. And that is so not the kind of deck I can usually build. <laughs> like, those, those are the kinds of things people have to prove to me. And yeah. when I look at this card... The card I think about the most is Luminous Broodmoth, which mm, had no... Okay. Yeah, the card had no... Um, it didn't have that tribal requirement, and it still saw pretty much no play. Like, occasionally here and there, you would see it in certain sacrifice shells, but it was never even clear that you shouldn't be doing other different things. So, if Broodmoth isn't getting action, I don't know how this card gets action. And somebody out there, when I said Broodmoth, was like, oh my god, this card and Broodmoth. All right. I, I, I can't help those people, all right? But I, I can say that I think it's unlikely to see play with the cards I've seen so far. We need to see some individually very strong clerics, something that if I play that and I don't have anything else going on, I'm really happy with it. I just haven't seen that card yet. We need we need like uh, another priest of forgotten gods power level of card that is a cleric. That... I need it to be a priest, and I need it to be a woe strider. It also yeah. <laughs> has to run the sacrifice engine too. 
Yeah. And then and then we also need other one mana clerics that uh, you know, cauldron familiar power level of of cards. So if if we had those kind of pieces, which could over the course of the entire next year, we could put those pieces together. So just keep an eye out for those good cheap clerics because this could end up being like uh I'm thinking this card could be comparable to Mayhem Devil power level, mm. but only in the right shell. So we have the one. We have the Arcfiend's vessel, so that the chain ends in a five-five okay. for free, which is pretty That's awesome. Pretty nice. The That's middle nice. is, but the middle is wretched. Yeah. Do not tell me veto. <laughs> I do not care about having a veto on the no. battlefield or getting one back. No, we're and I definitely it. don't want to sacrifice it if I paid for it. <laughs> I just no. Yeah, yeah. But a card with potential. A card which I think has very little potential is Coveted Prize. So this is four and a black for a sorcery at rare. It costs one less to cast for each creature in your party. Search your library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. If you have a full party, and it has to be a full party, you may cast a spell with converted mana cost four or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. Here's the problem with this card. I basically assume the full party clause is never going to happen. So I'm going to pretend that that's not on here. So what this really turns out to be is a tutor which gets cheaper for the members of your party. Do you think this is playable at any mana cost? How much would this have to cast for you to be stoked and like willing to build around this card in your deck to play? Uh, first of all, I'm going to give your segue in here about a two out of 10 because you gave away your take in the segue. It's okay. Big no-no. Fair enough. Yeah, fair um, enough. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, it was great. <laughs> so, um, anyway, to actually answer your question, if I played this for two mana, I would be happy. Okay. Like, would you be happy or would you be stoked? Like, we're really doing it. Like, my deck is busted. I'd be pretty, I, I think I'd be happy because at that point you have three creatures on the battlefield and you're, pen, you're spending two mana to get any card in your deck. If you have three creatures on the battlefield and access to any card in your deck, that's about as winning a position as you get and you better close the game. Um, so go get Embercleave, attack with everybody, put it on the thingy or go get Winota and then you probably win. But as we know, if you didn't have the coveted prize in your deck and just had the Winota or the Embercleave, then you wouldn't have to have five mana to make the play I just talked about. You could do it with three or four. Could just and you'd still be w- just winning. You'd yeah. just be winning. Yeah. So just do that. Yeah. So, folks, here's, here's the deal, right? Tutor effects, by and large, it is not very good. There's a reason that people don't play Grim Tutor in Standard at all. There's a reason people have very rarely played, with with rare exception of played other tutors in Standard over the last number of years, because they're just not that good. You spend too much mana and time and card to get another random card out of your deck. So believe it or not, in Magic, it's actually just better to put good cards in your deck and hope you draw them. It's it's literally going to win you more games to just put good cards in your deck and hope you draw them. Because the tempo loss is too great playing cards like this. Do you think that the people who put tutors in their deck or want to argue that tutors are good cards when they cost three mana or more are the same people with multiple life insurance policies? (laughs) 
I don't know anything about life insurance, so that probably means that I'm a red mage at heart. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. All right. I didn't mean to... S- Somebody out there just thinks I took a sick burn at them. I'm just... This is banter. All right. I love you. We love you all. <laughs> you know, have your insurance policies, play the cards that make you happy, and just enjoy. Enjoy your life, however long it ends up being. Amen. Okay. Let's get on to probably the card that we're going to read here that's had the most range of disagreement about how good or bad it is so legion angel read this one for us cgb legion angel is too white white for an angel warrior with flying and it's a four three. Oh, when leon and angel enters the battlefield you may reveal a card you own named leon and Le- why am i saying leon legion angel from outside the game and put it into your hand so All right. there was, I, I broke that up a little with my stumbles. There was perhaps Basically, a, a giveaway in the way that you read that card about how you feel about it, perhaps? <laughs> Maybe. Basically, you play this, and you can go into your sideboard on Arena, uh, whether you're in best of three or best of one. If you have a Legion Angel in the sideboard, you can go fetch it when you play your Legion Angel. And you can do that again when you play your next Legion Angel, and so forth. All right. So let's just let's just get the obvious part of this out of the way. A 4-3 flyer for 4 mana is not good enough for standard. So let's just name that, all right? We had better, we had a 4-4 flyer for 4 in standard, which uh, let you scry 3 and scries 1 per turn. And that card saw almost no play in standard, and it only saw play to dig up one of the most busted cards ever printed. So Legion Angel is really not very good on the face. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, is the ability to keep chaining these worth running it in our deck? So, okay, here was here was the one idea that I had with Legion Angel that didn't sound terrible to me. If I was playing a, a mono white color aggro deck, so here's the thing, a lot of, of like monocolor aggro decks don't have a full sideboard. Like their full sideboard options are not very good because they're running one color. So I would consider running one of these, just one singleton in my like fast white aggro deck for the potential ability to every once in a while be able to slam this and kind of like get a backup plan end game going. That was the only, really the only use of this card I could think of that didn't sound terrible to me. And it's it's still not that good. But what are you thinking about this? I think the only reason this card might ever see play is because it's white. Because white is... I, I, okay, you're laughing because it's a meme and I, I get it. Like that white has been kind of bad and that's part of it. But uh, I just want to say that white is one of the very few... Like, if you think of a mono-white aggro deck uh, of any kind, uh, we've been playing the life gain variety in 2021 for a while, right? Um, But there have been aura versions. There have been, like, various white aggro decks. There have been go-wide versions. These are some of the few decks in standard that still flood out. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they do. Like, they don't have light up the stage. They don't have ways to get a lot of extra value. They don't have good adventure cards, so they don't get to cast both sides of an adventure to fill in their curve. They just they play like four or five cards, and sometimes they draw two or three too many lands, and they do nothing. If they draw a Legion Angel, then they'll have something to do for the next three turns rather than make a 1-1 with their castle. 
you know? Yeah. And, and that's better. Like, that is, is an improvement. I, I think it's worth considering because you're right. And I do think that that game plan could actually pose a problem for mages who are specifically leaning on wraths to get around this, especially given that these have four power. So your Shatter the Sky opponent is really going to not be that excited to see a Legion Angel resolve under your control. In certain matchups, this card could actually be kind of annoying. And one of the nice things about it is if, for example, you devote one deck slot to it and three in the sideboard, and it ends up not being good in your matchup, you just board that one out. And you're, like I said, you're in a monocolor white deck, you're not losing that much, because what else were you going to play in your sideboard anyway? I don't know, that that doesn't seem terrible to me. I'm going to throw you another another curveball. If this idea actually appeals to you and it's going well, then the biggest problem with it is you don't draw the angel very often. It's probably a one-of in your deck with three in the sideboard because you don't want to draw many 4-3 flyers for three. Yeah, I think drawing drawing two of these in the same game sounds like a disaster to me. Yeah, it, it does. And I think there's going to be a tension that if this actually is a thing that the white deck even wants to do, do you put two in your main deck so that it happens a little more often? <laughs> I It's risky, right? It's, yeah. So it, that's an interesting game. I, yeah. I don't think this card is very good. I think it's only there for a few specific matchups, but I think in best of one, it's kind of a an interesting way to use the sideboard that otherwise best of one decks don't get to use. People have said, I'm, I should run this in my control decks. Guys, I need all 15 spots for that Fae of Wishes board. I like always. There's there's no room. I can't, I don't have room for four threes. <laughs> Control decks I mean, always have better things to be doing than Legion Angel. I I am reasonably confident this won't see play in best of three at all. So therefore, it probably won't be in tournament magic. And but I think it it's one of those interesting things where best of one is its own thing. It is a format. I I really wish it were treated like a, a different format, honestly, uh, because this card is good, I think, in a few types of decks in best of one. I agree. I wouldn't dismiss it out of hand. Like, this is one of those cards where when you're trying to attack a particular metagame or a particular deck, this card can be very annoying for particular decks. Okay, here's an example. If this card were green, I definitely would have played this in the 75 in my mono green deck. Because... It solves particular problems. It's in particular matchups. You know, I would often get in these top deck situations where my opponent wrath my board, and I was just really praying for another questing beast or another anything to just get that last point of damage in. And I, I definitely would have run at least one of these in the main, maybe two in, in certain matchups. So, you know, certain decks in certain matchups and certain meta games might be excited about this. So don't, just don't write it off, I think. All right, people were excited about this card. I don't know if I am, but maybe you are. Merfolk Wind Robber. One blue mana for a 1-1 creature Merfolk Rogue. So, Rogue. With flying. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, that player mills a card. Sacrifice Merfolk Wind Robber, draw a card. Activate this ability only if an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard. So, I don't know, is this like the... Is this the enabler payoff we've been looking for to make our rogue mill deck good? Well, no, it's definitely not a payoff, but it is well, like an enabler. very much extremely the enabler that you're looking for. Yeah. This card is good. Yep. Um, if you are looking for a, some 
a mass of rogues, like you have an anthem or something, this is a rogue on the battlefield. If just playing a rogue is good for you because you have a Thieves Guild Enforcer, this will trigger it. The ability to do some milling is very much what the rogue tribe is looking to do. They have a lot of cards that benefit you from putting cards in the opponent's graveyard. Drowning the Lock is still an important card and might end up being one of the best spells in standard if the rogues can make it happen enough. I am keeping my eye on that card as a card that could be gaining more than most with this new set. So the ability to sacrifice this and draw a card at instant speed, so kind of whenever you need to, if you get eight cards in the opponent's graveyard, is really good. Because when you draw it early, you just need it to do a job. It just needs to get in there a few times and enable things and do a little damage. And late in the game, you don't really have a use for a one mana one one, but if you can turn it into a card, that's really good. The evasion, the flying is going to be crucial with a card I think we're going to talk about next. And the last bit I'm gonna say is that there is a nemesis and it is Uro, because Uro can eat their own graveyard, which is kind of scary for this card. But I will say that the Rogue's deck, which I played a good amount with Thieves Guild Enforcer before these new Rogues entered the picture, and that card, it was kind of stunning how that how Thieves Guild Enforcer, if unchecked, can keep up with an Uro. <laughs> like, it, it, like, oh my, yeah, if you, you haven't played a game until you are just like playing multiple Thieves Guild Enforcers and cards like Rankle and just, they, they play the Uro, they empty their graveyard, they make it a 1-1 again, and then you just make a few more plays and they have a another full graveyard and you're back to 3-2 Death Touch and they don't want to attack with their Uro and your Drowning the Lock is turned on again. It's actually a really ridiculous game. Um, but it, it is doable. I think that people looking at this card and saying, but Uro, don't know how playable that matchup is. And they also don't realize like that this deck can out-tempo a ramp deck pretty well. It's actually competitive with Uro decks. I'm surprised to hear you say that. It could just be that I have not myself tried it and played it. So I admit to ignorance in that regard. But I just... It's so hard for me to imagine CGB, like a random 1-1 one, one flyer and a random 3-2 death toucher, even if it is under-costed, being a solid plan. It Isn't this still just garbage? No. Yeah, I thought... I, I felt the same way. It, does that make you feel better? Because... It, you're playing the one mana cards, but they're enabling you to play two mana counter spell and removal spell, and then you're also running like Brazen Borrower, and it like it, it's actually kind of absurd. And while the one mana one one is garbage, the two mana five four flyer is not. So that's the kind of payoff that I'm looking at, right? I'm we're gonna need that level of payoff before I start even considering this. Yeah, uh, we're talking about Vantress Gargoyle, and that card has seen very little play, but that's because the mill cards suck. This card is not quite suck, you know? <laughs> it's hanging out in the ballpark. This card needs to get every part of the buffalo and bring barbecue sauce for me to feel excited about it. This card needs to do literally everything printed on it and a little extra for me to, to even consider playing it, because... We've had Spectral Sailor, man. We, like, like late in the game, you can just draw a card, though. Yeah. Like, it's just a one-mana draw a card. It's a cycle late when you have the mana. Is this better than Terramander? Yeah. You think so? 
Yeah, Terramander, you have to put more mana into it to turn it on. This, yeah. You don't have to invest. Could be. How about Spectral Sailor? Because, like, that card... I mean, okay, yeah. this is... This, yeah. It's all kind of besides the point because those any of these cards only matter if the shell is good, right? So I, I guess I'm just being kind of an idiot. We just need to put this deck together and see if it's viable. I think you'll be surprised. I had many of the reservations you are having right now. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm talking to me before playing the deck. Okay. Uh, to me after playing the deck. Fair. Fair. Well, I'll I'll feel you now. This next card is definitely made my eyebrows raise. <laughs> so, I'm not going to lie. This this card could be the business, man. Go ahead and read this card for us. Zareth San, the trickster. Three blue and a black for a legendary creature, Merfolk Rogue. I'm gonna like inflect on the the important tribals. I'm, I, yeah, I'm just gonna do that voice. It's fine. Flash. This card has flash. Two blue black. Return an unblocked attacking rogue. You control to its owner's hand. Put Zareth San, the trickster, from your hand onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking. Whenever Zerasan deals combat damage to a player, you may put target permanent card from that player's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. And I don't know if I mentioned it, this is a 4-4. Okay, first of all, this ability in previous magic sets has been called ninjutsu. If you've never seen this ability before, okay, A of all, it's a little bit confusing, and B of all, it's a gotcha, man. If you do the thing and it connects... It's a gotcha, all right? Basically, you have one one darky wind robber in the middle of combat turned into a 4-4. By the way, you cannot counter this ability using a counter spell. So I think that's one of the biggest things about this card, the fact that you can flash this in as soon as turn four, or I don't know if you have some kind of silly ramp thing, then sooner than that. Lotus Cobra. Lotus Cobra for the win in your Salt Eye <laughs> Rogue deck. Go on. Um, the fact that you can get this thing down turn four with haste, essentially tapped and attacking, uncounterable. I mean, that's that's happening. It's very happening. Yeah. Um, this card is yeah, and we didn't we didn't mention it, but first of all, the the mill thing that's printed on Thieves Guild and Forester, Merfolk Wind Robber, Vantress Gargoyle, all these things, you throw some stuff in their graveyard. When this thing hits, you paid four mana. You hopefully bounced a 1-1, one, one, like a one-mana play, like Thieves Guild or Wind Robber. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're not down that much board presence. And you get a permanent from their graveyard. That's a good amount of RNG. But assuming your opponent is an absolute maniac who runs, I don't know, decent permanents, that could be absolutely insane. Can you imagine getting their Ember Cleave? And putting it on your Zerasan, the trickster, for the next turn's attack. <laughs> Can you picture this? I'm feeling it. Because then you get, he, yeah. you get two triggers off of it, right? Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> oh, the yes, greed. You do. Oh, I mean, not that they're going to live to see the consequences, but... Oh, man, I, I love I love how you're thinking about this. Puck your parrot! No, it has to be combat damage, but anyway. Nice try. Nice, nice try. Some of the ridiculous things that you could hit off Zareth Sand, for example, if you're lucky enough to mill your opponent's Omnath, you could snatch that. That sounds pretty great to me. <laughs> I think we're done. That's, that's yeah. probably the height of achievement. Yeah. 
I mean, if the worst thing you do is grab your opponent's Oro, draw a card, ramp, gain some life, sounds pretty good to me. You could even do something as basic as grabbing a Fabled Passage and just getting the land of your choice that you needed. So this card just has a lot of text. Yeah, how about the opponent's Elspeth Conquers deck? Ooh, that feels nice. <laughs> that feels real nice. <laughs> That's not the worst, right? Um, I mean, even an Omen of the Sea feels good. These are all gravy. That's the important thing. This is this ability we're talking about is the extra that just happens from this card working once. And it what we learned from ninjutsu is it's not very hard to make it happen. All you need is for your opponent to actually commit to a play on their turn and not have instant speed removal available and creatures that are either evasive or the opponent doesn't want to block anyway. An example being a death touch thieves guild enforcer, <laughs> you know, um, and there's it's there's a lot of good ways to put the opponent in the squeeze if you can just come up with some things that would punish them for blocking. I'm not saying combat tricks will make it into standard, but these are the kinds of things that people have to think about when you swing in in a weird situation. So it's a fun mind game card is also what I'm getting at. And I mean, imagine if, let's say you do this on turn five and you have Mystical Dispute up. There are some decks that are just never going to beat that. I mean, Ooh, yeah. you know, it's like if you, get, have you have this any time off curve later in the game. And remember, you don't need to ninjutsu to get the, I mean, later in the game, you can just slam this and haste it in. Well, you also have Flash, which is a yeah. weird thing to have in combination with the Ninjutsu, right? Because yeah. Ninjutsu gives it pseudo-haste in combat, but Flash says if you have nothing else going on and your opponent taps out on their turn yeah. and you play this on end step, you're probably going to hit, That's which means it. you probably get something. That's really gross. Yeah. So this is like one of those kind of commandery looking cards that could actually end up being a total trouncer in standard. Who knows, right? But I think if this card sees enough play and gets enough good hits, then you're really going to need to be holding up instant speed nonsense. You're really going to need to be making unfavorable blocks. You're going to need to be doing everything you can to prevent this from connecting. And I have to say... Just the existence of this and Brazen Borrower in the same set alone is interesting to me. And, and Murderous Rider. Yeah. Oh, exactly. So, I mean, yeah. those. No, no, no. It says Rogue. Never mind. I take it back. I take back my Murderous Rider. You have to return an unblocked attacking Rogue. Oh, it has to be a Rogue. Okay. So that's good to know. I know. That guy seems pretty roguish to me. But yeah, I mean, Grixis. Eh? 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 Gets a Robber of the Rich. How much would it hurt, CGB, if in a single turn your opponent nabbed a card off the top of your library and a card from your graveyard and had both of them in play by the end of the turn? <laughs> oh, uh -huh. I'm going to try it just for the memes. Just there for the is memes. something there's something like deep and damaging about using the, your opponent's cards against them. <laughs> Like, people hate it. They and that's do. why there's always a card like this in every set, because that emotional reaction is very powerful. And that's, anyway, that's a whole other subject. But I, I like that this card is probably quite playable. Yep. I'll tell you what, man. Every, every player in Standard, while this is in Standard, is going to have a moment when they tilt off their freaking chair when this thing connects. So... Look forward to that, my friends. Look forward to that. All right, another card that has the potential to tilt you off your chair. Nissa of the Shadowed Bows. So this is maybe the headliner Planeswalker of this set, and uh, it's a doozy. So let me read this card for us. Two black-green, 
four loyalty planeswalker legendary planeswalker nissa at mythic so before we even get into the loyalty abilities it has a static ability which is a landfall ability Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a loyalty counter on Nyssa of Shadowed Bows. Plus one. Untapped target land you control, you may have it become a 3-3 elemental creature with haste and menace. Until end of turn, it's still a land. So that until end of turn is an important power nerf from uh, the Nyssa that we're familiar with. Minus five. You may put a creature card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it. All right, CGB. So there's like, this is a card that has a lot of play, a lot of lines, a lot of scenarios. So what are we, what are we planning to do with this card? Well, if you listened to the last episode, we talked about Omnath. And achieving that in the play with more landfall payoffs for the card itself sounds amazing. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself because you asked me that beautifully leading question. Like, I plan to put Omnath into play. I'm just going to play five colors and I'm going to put Omnath into play because all the landfall stuff also benefits Nyssa. But there's there's a lot to this card. This isn't... Okay, it, it's deceptively, I would say, powerful, but only circumstantially. Correct. Because the it's definitely a ramp card. The landfall loyalty thing, It some will say it doesn't protect itself because the 3-3 doesn't last a turn. I say it does protect itself as long as you're hitting land drops because it gains a ton of loyalty. So for me, ramping is the protection. You just need to keep ramping. The plus one ability is... I think that people will underrate that you can attack with this land. You can also just tap it for mana, then untap it and tap it again. Like Nissa, Nissa is a ramp card in itself. Um, the minus five though is kind of scary, and I think that what people might miss out on the minus five is that you can spend your mana putting lands onto the battlefield and then use yes. the minus five as if those lands were untapped. Correct. So if yep, if you control a Nissa. And you play a land and then cast a migration path for four mana, then you go up to seven lands on the battlefield. Six of those lands are tapped, but Nyssa can minus five and get seven mana worth of effect plus the two plus one plus one counters. Now you can use that on a creature, and that is it. So it's kind of nutty to think, you know, it like Agent of Treachery rotates at this point if it hadn't been banned, which would be good. Oh, no. But where is it you know where's the creature where is the creature that is like seven mana or less where it's like getting to slam that the same turn that you also ramp up all this mana um could be huge uh could be absolutely amazing we're getting there 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 are actually uh, there's there's a couple of six mana and one seven mana creatures in this set which are extremely powerful that i'm thinking about so looking forward to yeah I mean, just with Omnath, it's kind of insane that they have the same payoff. You know (laughs) what I mean? They're both like ramp and make this awesome. And both of them are not only like Omnath is also like an, it's an enabler and a payoff because it's a great card. Nissa is, in my opinion, much more payoff. So what, 
what is it that we add to that recipe with either one of those cards that completely breaks that deck in half? It's like, it's that one thing, that one overpowered thing that we do with all this kind of free mana away, which reminds me of Fires of Invention, which reminds me of Growth Spiral. Like, it, it seems like the same story, and I'm just waiting for it. I'm watching for it, dude. Yeah. My eyes are peeled wide open. <laughs> He's on it. So my favorite play pattern that I can think of, which is a very simple play pattern, which you'll probably be able to do a lot with this card, is say just modest ramp scenario. You're on turn four. You already have four lands in play. You play Nissa of the Shadowed Bows. You play Fabled Passage. She ticks up to five. You crack Fabled Passage. You get another land. She ticks up to six. Now you can minus five her immediately and you're left with a Nyssa and, and whatever five drop or less you had in your, you know, like an Omnath, for example. And so the amount of, I mean, that is basically like a fires of invention level of power and tempo and mana advantage you've created in a single turn. Doing that and then saying your go, that's like, holy smackerel, like someone has to deal with your incredible creature and your Planeswalker, and whatever else you played earlier in the game, and you've probably been ramping, right? So it's just, that's nasty. Yeah, you probably have a lot of advantages going on from that position. But like you said, deal with the Planeswalker. If you untap from that position and hit your land drop next turn and use the plus one, you have seven mana, and this is back up to three loyalty already. You're just getting ready to do it again. Yeah. On the topic of deal with a Planeswalker, Nyssa deals with other Planeswalkers very, very efficiently. So yes. a hasty 3-3 Menace, that's just that's going to boss around those Jaces, man. Would you say it would kick Jace around? It, it would smack Jace around just a little bit. So if she doesn't end up enabling something that's pretty busted by the end of the format, I will be shocked. Absolutely Likewise. shocked. I think this card will go through periods where people even forget it's in the format. Yeah. And then it's just going to, like, then it will smash something. Like, it's just, I think that that's the situational power level of the card. Yeah. I think we can both agree that this is not as powerful as the Nissa Who Shakes the World Planeswalker. And I don't think it's going to be as format warping. I hope, I certainly hope it's not going to be. No, we've got Omnath for that, dude. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Looking forward to that. Let's get into a card which could be playable. I'm kind of interested in this card. Palaka Predation. Two and a black. Sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a card from it with converted mana cost three or greater. That player discards that card. So this spell is terrible, but wait, there's more. On the backside, it is a land. Palaka Caverns. ETBs tapped. Taps for a black. So... Okay, I'm not going to say this is a card to write home about. What I am going to say is that I think that there's plenty of slower decks that for which this card is mostly gravy. Would you agree with me? Yes. I think that the the issue with this card and the reason I'm not excited about it is because it has a fail state where both sides are terrible, and that's <laughs> if your opponent is attacking you with creatures. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that that is the thing... When I'm looking at the split cards, we, we talked about it on the last episode, but I really want a situation where one side is great or the other side is great. And and that's that's what that what that's what will get me excited. So you don't want to tap land like, well, when you're getting smashed with 
aggro creatures, and you don't want to hit their hand and take away something of three or greater that might not even be there and spend three mana on that effect. So this card, I wouldn't be surprised if it saw some competitive play when the format is extremely mid-range to control leaning and aggro mostly doesn't exist. I think that that would be totally fine in those spots, but I still don't think that it's a good... It's not really the card I want. I don't think it's busted. However, I do think... So let's let's again harken back to this Sultai matchup. If you're playing a Sultai mirror in current standard, there are only a few cards that you're worried about. And if you're able to play Palaka Predation on turn three and nab your opponent's Nissa or nab your opponent's uh, Casualties of War, stuff like that, then you're very far ahead in that game. If you're being proactive, you might be able to nab your opponent's Oro, which... Granted, it's not the best play because it's going to come back eventually, but if that's the only thing they had going on for the next couple of turns, then I think that's definitely worth it. And it's definitely not a terrible fail state on the card. And being able to play it as a tap land is not a terrible fail state in the kind of deck that would want to run this. So, Yeah, and you were saying earlier, like we were talking with Lotus, Cobra, and Omnath, like what are you going to do with three mana? Uh, Yeah. This this is the kind of thing. thing that if you squeeze this into that turn, you'd feel okay about it. Exactly. So yeah, I'm not I'm not just sleeving a bunch up and slapping them in my black decks, but I think it's going to be a role player, and I do think it's going to be a sideboard player, especially for like I spoke about those kind of like mid range slugfests. Could even be relevant against control, depending. So yeah, I'm interested. Let's talk about. Do you want to read for us Archpriest of Iona? The aggro mages have been waiting a really long time for us to say anything about a card that's remotely interesting to them. So uh, you're going to get, I think, two in a row here. The first is Archpriest of Iona. It's a white for a creature human cleric at rare. Archpriest of Iona's power is equal to the number of creatures in your party. And it is a star two, by the way. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party... Target creature gets plus one, plus one, and flying until end of turn. Okay, so I I like this card with a caveat. Your white aggressive deck has to actually be full of other party members for this to be relevant. However, if you're in like a white warriors deck, something like that, this is basically looking like a 2-2 two, two for one mana. In the, in the cases where this ends up just being a 1-2, for one mana throughout the game those are the games you've already lost and having another better one drop wouldn't have helped so in the case in the in the game states where you're curving this into the rest of your warriors and good aggressive creatures and whatever i think this card's going to be very strong because here's the thing the fail state is a two two for one mana which is a very good aggressive card the only reason i wouldn't put this in my white aggressive deck is if my other really good aggro options just happen to not be party members but I think if they're checking the boxes and you would hope that they did printing a card like this, then I actually expect this to see play as long as white aggro sees any play at all. Are, are you with me on that one? Yeah, I think I think you're nailing it. I think that you ignore the party line at the end. See what I did there? <laughs> um, and like the thing about full party, just ignore it and see how this card plays without that. And yeah, it would be weird First of all, they haven't printed any good aggro cards, so we don't have to worry about pass sets. <laughs> and uh, it would be weird if they printed good aggro cards that had nothing to do with the party um, in the set that you wanted to play it two and three. 
Hollowblade is a warrior. That's arguably the best white aggro card that you could throw in with it. Great so cuff. seasoned Hollowblade. It's a great cuff. Yep, it's already ready to roll. And um, if you want to go to other colors, Robber of the Rich is a rogue. So, you know, we're getting things moving. That's why I think if there's got to be some kind of aggro deck in the format, and if white is going to do anything useful, like this is a card that needs to be there. So I... It, it's a needed card, and it needs support as well. So hopefully the creatures that surround it don't absolutely suck. I'm optimistic that they will be good enough to give white a fighting chance outside of burn. Yeah. I think that this card has a very high ceiling. And, I mean, there's going to be times when this is attacking as a 4-2, and you're going to wonder why they ever allowed it to be printed. I mean, unless, exactly, unless they totally messed it up. So I expect this to be a premier white ag aggressive card and one that the decks are really going to lean on. This next card, I haven't made my mind up about, especially for standard. I think in other formats, this could be pretty bonkers. Uh, so Akum Hellhound, one red mana for a 0-1 creature elemental dog. It has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, Akum Hellhound gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. So people who play in formats that run fetch lands might actually be afraid of this card, but are we going to be afraid of it in standard? I don't think you have a choice. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> okay. Like, like, okay, mono red. Mono red, for better or worse, has been the most played deck in best of one MTG arena history and on the ladder in every format, even when people were, com even when Oko was an option, Okay. I, I'm not kidding. There were decks with Oko and Cauldron Familiar, and the most played deck was Mono Frickin' Red. The only time that changed was when Rakdos Knights got ahead of it for a little while because people realized that was just as aggressive and good for Embercleave. But Mono Red Aggro, especially the incarnation that's rotating, is the most played deck in arena history. I am 100% sure on that. And it needs to fill spots with cards that don't absolutely suck. And... This card does not absolutely suck. This card, if you have a decent curve at all, is probably good for something along the lines of one mana deal between four to six damage, which is what red needs. It can still... Like, I keep on trying to think of ways for the body to benefit you when you run out of land, and there aren't many. Your castle Embrith still pumps it. You can still throw it to the wolves as an O1 one to play your Embercleave cheaper. Like, these are these are things... And I, I think you just got to take it. Light up the stage is gone. We might, we might have to run 24 lands in our red decks now. It would be nice if we had some more expensive payoffs, like a really good four mana hasty dragon or something. But uh, yeah, I have a feeling this will see play a good amount, even with a pretty bad fill state of being a one mana 01. So that's, that's what I don't love about it is that these red decks specifically are trying to run as few lands as possible. These red decks have historically been the kind of deck that could theoretically get you dead with only two mana in play if things lined up right. And that was, you know, that happened a lot. It's a big part of why they're good. Exactly. And, and especially three mana. You know, it's like once the red deck's on three mana, they are cooking. So there are situations in which this card ends up being really mediocre. I mean, imagine drawing multiple of these and not hitting your land drops. Imagine that, just imagine drawing it, period, in a top deck situation. I, I mean, it's horrendous. <laughs> and it's, it is. It's terrible. 
One of the things that made Scotch Bitter so good was that it threatened lethal even if it got blocked. Or like Tin Street Dodger, another card that threatened lethal. The Gingerbread Man, another card that threatens lethal. So I don't think you're wrong, CGB. I think this is the hero no one wants, but everyone's going to have to accept. But I'm still skeptical. Right. I'm still rules skeptical. Rules question. Yeah. I got a rules question. If you have a Torbran in this and hit no land drop, do you deal two damage to a thing that blocks it? I don't think so, because you have to deal. You have to start with damage, don't you? But doesn't dealing isn't dealing zero still dealing something? I'm pretty sure this has come up before, and I'm pretty sure it's not. Okay. Yeah. I I, I honestly I'm honestly not sure. I, I think it does. It's like with Death Touch, right? It has to actually deal damage for it to be relevant. So that's that's my that's my hot take. Cringe. All right. Um, I know you're excited about this card, so why don't you read it for us? Skyclave Apparition. Skyclave Apparition is a one white, white creature. Core spirit, rare, 2-2 body. Whenever Skyclave Apparition enters the battlefield, exile up to one target non-land, non-token permanent you don't control with converted mana cost four or less. When Skyclave Apparition leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner creates an XX Blue Illusion creature token, where X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. Oh my god, spirits are playable and standard again, CGB. Oh my god, oh my god. Um, (laughs) But seriously, this this card has some play to it. Like, are you excited about it? Not because it's a spirit. I just read you a freaking book and you you really zoned in on like the one word in the table of contents, bro. Um, yeah, I guess in in uh, historic, since we talk about arena here and not other things, in historic there is a spirit deck that people are working with, and this will probably be amazing with collected company. In standard, this is a three mana attached to a body answer to so many things mm-hmm. omnath so many things omnath yes Nissa. i yeah four man and nissa i'm thinking lucky clover like i'm just thinking about making you unhappy mm, love it give him a tutu that's a pretty good trade for you that card is actually really hard to remove yeah so here's a thing to remember about this once something gets exiled with this it is gone never to return you will never yep. see that card again you have to cast another one to see it again so you don't get it back when you bounce. Instead, you get a token, which probably doesn't matter. I think the number of situations in which are going to be sad to give your opponent a token with this, I, I mean, you don't love it, but it's going to be worth it is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, if you have... So right away, it's an ETB trigger attached to a creature. So two things that your mind goes to on color are Yorion and Elspeth Conquers Death where you just get to reuse this ability multiple times. And in those scenarios, if your opponent picks up some illusion tokens, a glass casket that was blinked by your Yorian will remove it. A brazen borrower will remove it. A barren Talarian archmage will remove it. There's a lot of ways to deal with the token if you care about the token, if it even matters. But most of the time, in the mid to late game, handing your opponent a 2-2 token or a 3-3 token isn't an unbeatable situation so i i just think this card is sweet i i don't see a lot of mid-range to control size decks that wouldn't somehow want to throw this on the battlefield and thassa is in the format like 
it's, it's just it seems so fun. Um, the Blink deck has been largely, well, it's been pretty, it's been pretty held down by Omnath. That card, or not Omnath? I'm sorry, Ugin. Ugin put a big ceiling on that deck where it would accumulate all this merchandise and it would all get exiled, and it was very sad. And the Yorian Esper decks are losing Oath of Kaya, but this this is a replacement that makes me really want to brew around it. And it can go in other places. Like, I'm thinking of Winota as a deck where it need, it wants a body of different types, and it also doesn't usually have room in the deck to deal with what the opponent does whatsoever. But this does. It gives you the body to trigger Winota, and it at least slows the opponent down deals with something so yeah this card i think goes a lot of places what do you think of this card yeah i think it's sweet i would be running this in some amount in every white sideboard basically uh without exception and it just answers stuff gosh like if you resolve this against a control opponent and you nab one of their planeswalkers they're gonna hate you oh my god they're gonna hate you so much it takes their thing, it gives you a threat that they now have to worry about. It's a 2-2 flyer, which can clock up pretty quickly over the course of a game. And It does not fly. Does not oh, fly. it's not a flyer. I, I apologize. You know, spirits that don't fly should just get the fluff out of my game, man. Get the fluff out <laughs> of my game. And print this Agreed. card as a flyer, you cowards. Come on. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, but it, it gives you a threat. And meanwhile, your control opponent picking up a 2-2 is just not anything that you care about if you're playing a creature deck. So overall, I think that this is a control nightmare, and it's going to be pretty good in, in other circumstances as well. I'm going to love torturing you with this. Oh, man. I know how much you love my Blink Elspeth Conquers <sighs> Death decks. Dude. I know how much you enjoyed those last time. I'm going to be playing Shrines, and you're going to get your Skyclave Apparition down, and I'm going to flip the frickin' table, man. Oh my gosh, I'm going to Thassa Skyclave Apparition your shrines. It's going to be amazing. All I can say is see you on preview day, my man. <laughs> see you on preview stream day. Looking forward to it. Oh, okay, this is a fun one. Into the Royal. My kind of a card. One and a blue for an instant with kicker one and a blue. So you can double up the cost if you want the kicker effect. So the normal effect is return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, bounce spell. But if it was kicked, you get to draw a card. I'm a huge fan of these effects. You can cast it for two mana in a pinch when it's saving your life or slowing your opponent down on a key turn. And it draws you a card if you wait a little bit longer and that is just a very, very good tempo play. So are you with me that this is a great card? I'm not sure where it's going to have a home because I think that the four mana side of it is what you want to be doing all the time, but I think it's a bit inefficient for the way things are going. I love this card. I think it's sweet and it will see play somewhere, but it's hard to picture how that's going to work right this minute. Okay, so there's a couple of examples that I really like with this card. Let's say you cast it on your own Brazen Borrower pretty sweet okay how many of that effect can you put in your like okay (laughs) i I, I think i think you're going a bit too far with like bouncing at that point but i see where your head's at so let me try one on you uh just bounce your own elspeth conquers death love it do we we miss the teferi effect on our ecds here it is love it your opponent tries to remove your omnath you bounce it yeah your opponent attacks your planeswalker you rebuy it get more planeswalking 
Yeah. Unlike Brazen Borrower, you can target your own things, which is something people forget is a significant downside to the Brazen Borrower. Yeah. I just think that this card is going to have enough cases and do enough for you enough of the time that I think it's going to be pretty sweet. So I agree. Yep. It's not just like an auto include in your flash deck, your control deck or whatever, but I think it's a sweet card and I think it could definitely see play. How about read for us Kaza Royal Chaser? Kaza Royal Chaser is a one blue, one red legendary creature, human wizard at rare is a one, two body flying haste tap the next instant or sorcery spell you cast this turn costs x less to cast where x is the number of wizards you control as the ability resolves you want to play some cribbage with this card because i think that's like a broomstick uh some that's the nimbus like twelve thousand. Yeah. that is being ridden Quidditch? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> cribbage? Did I say cribbage? <laughs> I was like, maybe this guy plays cards. <laughs> Harry Potter's for nerds, man. Nerds. <laughs> no, you're right. That is a very Nimbus-looking thing going on there, for sure. It looks like a combination of a Nimbus and a metal detector, so... <laughs> we're, f- we're finding some gold coins with our Nimbus here. Um, I don't know. Is this, this looks like a jank trap to me. Am I wrong about that? The tribe needs more. The, the tribe needs some more Wizards Matters type effects in like historic. This card has Wizards Lightning and Wizards Retort to access. And that can be fun. In standard, I don't, we, they have to reveal some wizard payoffs because so far this is the only one. And, uh, the best one, I didn't think of this at first, but I guess I am, I'm just going to snipe it from another podcast. If you have three mana, you can play this and use it to cast Lofty Denial. So you spent two mana on your one, two flying haste mana dork, and you got to counter a spell. I would feel a lot better. I would feel a lot better about that play, though, if this were like a three, two, or it grew in some way. Like whenever you played a spell, you put a counter on it, like a sprite dragon, because what are we protecting? We're protecting a one, two. Yeah. Like, what are we, what, what is that? It, That's not tempo. It could have at least been a two, two, I think. Just make it a base two, two, and I think it gets a lot more playable. Okay. Once, once we figure it out, you can put this into X spells. You know what I mean? It doesn't have that Titan's Nest cost where you can't pay X. So there's got to be something, you know, there's got to be something out there that when you gang it up with wizards is going to be a thing. And jumping into announcements, there was announcement of basically a wizard set in spring of next year. So I'm sh- this card might just be lurking until then because I don't see it at all right now. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it makes Sublime Epiphany playable as a top end. What are you going to do? Copy this? It's legendary. (laughs) Just play a counter spell. Touche. No. Touche. Card to keep an eye on, but I agree. It's looking a little underwhelming with current standard. Another card I want to touch on briefly. It's basically a Plague plague Crafter, Demon's Disciple, 2 and a black, 3-1 Human Cleric. When it ETBs, each player sacrifices a creature or Planeswalker. So... This hasn't this effect hasn't been relevant for a long time in standard. I just wanted to call it out because, you know, it's an effect that has been good in the past. It is you can play it with that four mana card whose name I've already forgotten, but the Orzov card. Yeah. And when you sacrifice it, you can return a two mana card. There you go. So if we get a two mana cleric 
that then also sacrifices itself to do a thing. Then we work our way all the way down to the Arc Fiends vessel. Combo. Love it. Yeah. I mean, maybe they designed those with each other in mind. So kind of liking that. All right. Let's dive into our next card on the list here. This card is very interesting to say the least. I think people are going to have fun brewing around this one. Why don't you read for us, CGB, Ashaya, Soul of the Wild? Ashaya, Soul of the Wild, is three green-green legendary creature elemental. This is a mythic rare with star, star, power, and toughness. It's a mystery. We'll never know. Ashaya, I think that's our Ashaya? Ashaya? Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm on Ashaya. Okay. Okay, Ashaya, Soul of the Wild's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. If only there were ramp cards in this set. (laughs) Anyway, non-token creatures you control are forests in addition to their other types. Oh, snap. This just got real, buddy. What a line of text. (laughs) Like, that line of text has more implications than I think people can even start to realize if they haven't played with weird cards like Dryad Arbor in old formats. Yeah. Do you want to talk to us about what it means to be a forest? I mean, oh my goodness. Okay, so for starters, I mean, this is just the baseline of this card. Any creature you have in play, the moment you slam this card, becomes a land that you could tap for mana. I don't know what we could find to do with all of that mana, but I'm sure we could figure something out. I mean, heck, for starters, this turns your Lotus Cobra into a Paradise Druid of sorts, so that's kind of gas. Boy, okay, so forests, you know what? They they deliberately waited until Nissa rotated out of the format to print this card because that would just be something else, man. That would just be something that else. That would be something, <laughs> yeah. It would be both something and something else. So yeah, I don't know. This is the kind of card where if your opponent untaps with it, and even if they don't, some silly things might start to happen. What are you thinking about in terms of in terms of all of this? I think that for five mana, a star star with power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control wouldn't see play. I agree. So the power of the card is tied up in how effective it is to have non-token creatures you control be forests in addition to their other types. So just a few things here. It counts itself. Ashaya is a forest. You can tap this for mana if you were so inclined. Now, okay, quick rules question. Can summoning sick creatures be tapped because they're lands? I believe the answer is no. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that as well. I'm confident that the reason that Nissa says the creature gains haste so it can still tap for mana and of course attack the opponent so uh so that still functions yeah because if it didn't if nissa didn't say haste you would have to in an awkward way keep track of which land you played that turn and make sure not to animate the land you played that turn. interesting yep that's that's relevant um yep so yeah you can't tap this for mana the turn that you play it unless it somehow gained haste Which other creatures you are giving this ability to matters a lot because how many creatures you have continues to buff Ashaya because all the creatures becoming lands means that the power toughness continues to go up for every creature you control as well. What I'm mostly interested about in with this card are the really weird things that 
like don't work anymore. And we learned a lot about this when we played with Nissa. Think of all the cards that you that could not interact with those lands. Mm, that's interesting. Right? Yeah. So Brazen Bar, like the second you play this card, Brazen Borrower does not work on any of your creatures. Whoa, that's actually pretty nasty. Yeah, okay. isn't that crazy? I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. You can't sacrifice any of your creatures to a Doom Foretold. <laughs> you, you getting me? And this, this card is rotating, but we're going to be on the lookout for a card like it. Planar Cleansing, Cleansing would not blow up your creatures. Nasty, nasty play around for that. This would also have uh, prevented Teferi bounce, wouldn't it? I think no, non land because, oh, no, because Teferi could hit Nissa lands. That's right. Teferi red creature, artifact, or enchantment. Right. So when something reads a specific type, then that still works. But whenever something says target non-land, it's ineffective against all of your creatures. So, for example, the Skyclave apparition we were just talking about exiles yes. a target non-land, non-token permanent. So taste it, Skyclave apparition. Yep, can't hit any of the creatures once this hits the battlefield. So it's it's this weird line of text that is so unintuitive that I... I don't know how to evaluate this card. Yeah. And it's one of the true head scratchers where is that line relevant enough oh, that snap. playing this becomes amazing? CGB. So does that mean that creatures enter the battlefields as lands? Do we get landfall triggers? Yes, you get a landfall trigger for a creature that you play. That is true. Oh, baby. We, I mean, we just found our payoff, baby. We're looking at some kind of la- going off with landfall kind of nonsense with this. I mean... Oh, yeah. This is... How about this card and Terror of the Peaks? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's fun. That is You're like that that's a win con, yeah. right? You you put that in you put this in the Genesis Ultimatum deck with a Terror of the Peaks and you can just dome your opponent. Yeah. Not to mention just even if you don't kill them, just make a ton more mana, do a ton more ridiculous things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's crazy. I think the combination of creating an insane amount of mana and the potential to give you an insane amount of landfall triggers makes this quite quite i mean okay the ceiling's high right i feel like this needs to do something for you the turn it comes down and it could i mean it really could all you need to do is get your money's worth out of that mana to consider yourself having been paid off right because your opponent's gonna oh the absolute floor is a five mana six six that's immune to brazen borrower and taps for a green yeah we're going to learn throughout the format the edge cases that do and don't hit Ashaya Soul of the Wild, but that's a... It crushes Banishing Light, if you care. I'm also pretty sure if you pulled off a Mardu Mythos of Snap decks, you wouldn't have to sacrifice any of your creatures. Wow. That's that's pretty gas. Um, man, Banishing Light's brutal as well because you can resolve it and then it won't have a target. So mm-hmm. with other spells, it just won't let you play the spell if you don't have a target. But with that one, it hits the battlefield and nothing happens. So that's going to feel really bad. You can't Yorian. You can't Yorian your own creatures anymore. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so weird. It's it. It's so funky. I'm excited to try absolutely silly things like this. Abs- yeah. I mean, there's, there's going to be a number of busted things to do. Will it end up being a meme? Maybe probably could it be busted absolutely so yeah this is a game warping effect and you always want to keep an eye on those i want to touch very briefly on this one ardent ardent electromancer two and a red three two creature human wizard 
When Ardent Electromancer enters the battlefield, add a red for each creature in your party. So the flaw on this thing is that it makes one red when it ETBs, and the ceiling is quite a lot higher than that. This could end yeah. up being like a Burning Tree Emissary kind of a card in Standard, and BTE was a house. So I, I don't think that you should dismiss this card out of hand because it looks like a draft common. This card is kind of scary. It's If you have a Robber of the Rich when you play this, you get two new red mana, so it's like a one mana 3-2 on turn three, and you can use that to cast your Bonecrusher Giant or do whatever you need another to do. Robber. Uh, another Robber? Another yeah. Robber? Yeah, like... This card can do some pretty sick things. I'm not sure if that's going to make it good enough. The fail state on Burning Tree of 2-mana 2-2 was a bit better than a 3-mana 3-2 just because one turn earlier is a big deal. It was also on the front side. It was the first play that you make. This needs something else on the battlefield to be relevant. But uh, there's hope. There's definitely hope with this. Um it also is another, it's a way to get free mana, and there might be ways to just somehow abuse it if you get like a few party members, a way to flicker this. I don't know. It's something, it's something going on and something to keep an eye on. Yeah, what I like about this is that it goes into an aggressive deck, it's costed like an aggressive creature, um, not efficiently, but it just like this fits into plenty of curves and helps you cast plenty of other cheap aggro cards just like you said like bone crush is a perfect example that you might want to cast so i i'm dead like if i'm putting together some kind of mono red deck really any kind of aggressive deck that runs red i'm going to be looking to see if this card can do work in my deck if i have enough party members yeah that's it right you need almost a mono party because you only get red mana so you've got to pay the red mana i think which is might be complicated like just for example when I search for warrior in red, you'd think warrior is a very red thing to be doing. Well, probably the best thing I see is a red cap riders, which is a three mana three two. <laughs> like it's not even a draft card. So we've got a long way to go. Yeah. You know, I'm even thinking in historic, if you look at your mono red deck, you know, because those decks run a bunch of wizards. Oh, so yeah. Historic, it might be a thing. If any of their other creature types are relevant, this could you could have turns like turn three Electromancer into Goblin Chain Whirler. And let me tell you, friends, that's going to be a wrecking. Yeah, I don't know. Just keep an eye on it. Let's see. Moving forward, we have a counter spell, Kovac Go Blue. Do you want to read us a wonderful, juicy, hopefully standard playable counter spell? Not really, but I will. <laughs> Anti-Cognition is one in a blue instant. Counter-target creature or planeswalker spell. Let me say that again. Counter-target creature or planeswalker spell, unless its controller pays two. If an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, instead counter that spell, then scry two. All right, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just hand, I'm, I'm the blue mage. Look situational counters haven't been good enough it just doesn't work and people have been saying me strictly better quench not even not even as good as quench nope. like not, not even, even close. close in my opinion not even close situational cards have been bad for a good amount of time because when you miss a beat in the format you fall too far behind and everything goes wrong and there's so much pressure on every card to be useful so if your opponent is playing i don't know a spell and your two mana play was this and it doesn't happen. 
Like you've, in many ways, you're too far behind already. And will that hold true in the new standard? I think so. Do you want this in your hand when your opponent plays, oh, I don't know, Lucky Clover? Uh, there, there are just so many disasters, especially since one of the nicest things about counter spells that have less conditions on them is that you can chain them to get around other people's counter magic. This card will not help you do that. So if you, oh yeah, you can't win a counter. Yeah, one. so it's just it's tough, man. This like the the restrictions are gonna bite you a lot of the time. You will learn very quickly that a lot of spells you care about are neither a planeswalker nor a creature. So. I only imagine this seeing play out of the sideboard in particular matchups. I wouldn't be surprised if this had zero play after two weeks, because I think for the first week, people are going to spam a card like this and expect great things, and it's going to take some time. But I think people will figure it out. This ain't it. Yep. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Thanks for listening, Arena Craft Mages. Catch the next part of this installment soon. Deep.